money. <laughs> well, think about it. If you're at an airport and then you're disturbing the airplane coming down. I don't want a drone anymore. <laughs> right? That's too risky. It's more expensive than the drone. Yeah, absolutely. So I should say that uh, 1.5 million Taiwan dollars, that's about 50,000 U.S. dollars. The minimum fine is also pretty hefty. It's a lot more than 15,000, Leslie. It is 300,000 Taiwan Ooh. dollars. About 10, no playing with US. drones in unrestricted places. <laughs> yes. Stay away from campaign rallies, stay away from airports. And they're actually developing an app where you can uh, use the app to find out which places are restricted in Taiwan. Now, if there are drones that are being used in a restricted area in Taiwan, authorities have something that they can do. They have some equipment they can use to neutralize the drone. Basically, uh, they detect it first and then they. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? When Tony Tamsier came to Taiwan in the 1990s, many local people had only vague impressions of his home country, Indonesia. To be sure, the word Bali would have meant something to people here, but the rest of the country was a blank unknown. Now, around 25 years on, the situation has changed completely. Taiwan is actively looking to Indonesia for trade, for friendship, and also for workers. Thousands and thousands of Indonesians have come as temporary migrants, while others have settled down more permanently. And Tony is the bridge between these people and their new home. He broadcasts to Indonesian audiences from right here at RTI, and he's also a fixture of Taiwan's Indonesian-language TV news bulletin. He doesn't just engage with his audience either. He's out there actively fighting for their rights. With his insider's knowledge, there are probably few better people to ask about Taiwan's Indonesian community. That's why Tony's joining me in the studio this week for a look at who's making the move from Indonesia to Taiwan and why. Do you have any idea, roughly, how many Indonesians are living in Taiwan these days? Okay, talking about the migrant workers, there are about 270,000 migrant workers in here. And if you want to add students or new immigrants who married to Taiwanese, totally around 300,000 Indonesian people in here. You may compare with Taiwanese people, it's 1%. 1% 1 of the population. Of the population in right. Taiwan. We that's only have 23 million people roughly here, so that's, that's, that's a uh, lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, do they come from a specific part of Indonesia generally, or the whole country? Mostly come from Java. What attracts them to Taiwan? I, I think it's pretty well known that some of our neighbors have much higher salaries than we do here. First of all, uh, these migrant workers, they will try to choose uh, the country that's close to Indonesia, okay. uh, like Singapore or Malaysia. But it's not easy to find employer in Singapore and Malaysia because the population over there is not uh, like in Taiwan. And there are a lot of workers came to Singapore, like from Philippines or Vietnamese. So there's more competition? Uh, yes, that's okay. right. And mostly Indonesian workers couldn't speak English very well, so they will choose Taiwan. Right, but Bahasa Malaysia, which is close to Indonesian, is spoken in places like Singapore and Malaysia. But the employer who hire the workers, they need to speak English. Oh, okay. That's and right. in Taiwan, that's not required? In Taiwan, we know that uh, the oldest people in here were growing 
Our aging population. Yes. Very few young people. And they need a lot of caretakers Mm -hmm. at home. And they will choose the Indonesian workers if they want to compare with Vietnamese or Philippines or Thai. Why? Because they told me that uh, Indonesian workers are more gentle. Really? Yes, more gentle and then more... Uh, how to say it in, in English, I don't know, but in Mandarin it will be guai. Oh, they take orders more. I think they're more, they're more docile maybe. That's they're... right, yeah, because so... of their culture mm-hmm. uh, in Indonesia during the Dutch colonized mm-hmm. time at the time, mostly Indonesian will obey the mm-hmm. rule that point out by their employer. Another thing, though, is that in ASEAN countries, though, I thought that there's like, you can just go. There's no visa sort of requirements. It's like from one Southeast Asian country to another. Yes. So, I mean, wouldn't getting work there be easier in that sense? There's less paperwork involved, maybe? The migrant workers from Indonesia who work in Taiwan, they didn't have a nice or good education background. Mm -hmm. So it will be easier for them to work in here because they just only have to work as a caretaker. Mm-hmm. or as uh, workers in the factory. If you want to work in Asian countries, such as uh, Singapore, Malaysia, or Thai, or Vietnam, at least you have to be graduated from high school or from university. But ah. in Taiwan, you don't need mm. a high-level education background. So you can go visit as a tourist easily, but getting work is actually easier here. Yes, Because that's despite right. the fact that you need a visa to visit as an Indonesian. Yes, that's right. So it's kind of backwards. Okay, I understand. So that's sort of why people are coming here and where they're coming from. Now, you mentioned caretakers. Is that what most people are doing here? What are they doing? What sort uh, of work? They will take care of the elder, mm-hmm. the elder people, like uh, grandpa or grandma and maybe patients uh, mm-hmm. in the hospital. It's about uh, 70% will be uh, women. Really? Yes, 70%. Uh, and then there are caretakers in here. And what does that involve as far as people that you know? What does, does that just mean taking them to appointments or do they have a nursing background? Have they gone to nursing school? You don't have to get a nursing background. So you just push the wheelchair around basically, take them to um, different places? Before before you came to Taiwan, before they, they, they arrive in here, they will have a, a kind of a class in Indonesia mm-hmm. for two months. They will have class, the Mandarin class, and then the caretaker class. Right, I've noticed that they speak very good Chinese and Taiwanese as well sometimes because the older people don't always speak Mandarin very well. There's, yeah, some people who work in southern Taiwan, they will speak uh, Taiwanese. Only, no Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, no, no Mandarin anymore. And I, there are Indonesians in my neighborhood as well that I see around, um, but I only ever see them pushing wheelchairs. Like, what, do the, or what are they expected to do? Change diapers and help them in the middle of the night get, or to help them take showers? What is, sorts of work do they do? Actually, they have to stay... 24 hours. Some people will uh, will tell you that it's easy to be a caretaker, but it's not easy because you have to stay 24 hours per day, seven days a week. And then because this patient or these elder people, they need to be taken care of. You need to, like what you say, get a bed and then help them to go to the bedroom. Or maybe some elder people will stay awake at night and then you cannot sleep at that time oh. because you have to accompany the elder people. Even you only have to watch the TV that you don't like, yeah, the channel that you don't like and then you don't understand at all. Mm. And in the morning, they will using the, what do you say? The wheelchair? Yeah, the wheelchair. Or helping them with their walkers sometimes. Yeah, to walk, to walk these elder people. That's what I see them uh, around. Uh, to the park and then, yeah, to have a sunshine. Is it just one person per elderly person? person or do they have shifts like two people for one person 24 hours yes 
Wow. I think that um, mostly people kind of believe that these migrant workers can do a lot of things. Yes, that's why um, I also joined some organization, right. NGO in here, try to fight for their rights. Right. At least we hope one day these migrant workers who work as a caretaker can be protect. By the law. What rights do they have right now? Yeah, like uh, how long do they have to work? They have days off. Can they go back home to visit their family from time to time? Uh, yes, uh, they will have a contract, and its contract it will be three years, mm-hmm. and then you can go back to Indonesia, and then you can come back again, and then you can work in here for total twelve years. So there's a cap; they can't just stay on indefinitely forever. They cannot stay in here forever. But right now, uh, there's a new rule: you don't have to leave Taiwan, mm-hmm. but you can continue the contract in here. Right, that's a bit silly. Just leaving for one day and then flying <laughs> back the next day just for the purposes that's of a stamp. Because of the immigration law, <laughs> it's a little bit. Yeah, why can't you sort that out here and just get an extension? Anyway, mm. um, how much time do they got off? Do they have a day off every week or? Before I work for Taipei City Government, mm-hmm. yes, uh, we also hope that uh, this employer can give them at least one day off per week. So that's not mandated right now. That's not yeah. required. Yeah, they can be expected to work seven days a week. It will be written in the contract. Mm. Yes. Because aren't we supposed to have a labor law that guarantees what they call like two days off per every? That's a, 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 the labor law. That doesn't cover them though. They don't. Migrant workers are not covered by the, uh, the caretaker. They have their own separate. They have laws. their own separate uh, contracts. Okay. Yeah. Um, how long have people been coming from Indonesia? These migrant workers. Taiwan started. To import, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can say the import sure. to import the workers uh, from abroad uh, about 22 years ago. I started from the uh, 10 years development, the programs from the government. Tony's own connection with Taiwan started at around the same time as this migration began, but Tony came here for reasons very different from the ones we've heard about so far. Reasons rooted in economic troubles and ethnic strife. Join us next week for his own Taiwanese story. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Stroke of light. A portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello, and welcome back to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. We have had a pretty extensive look at the work of Miss Xie Hongjun in her latest exhibition, which is titled "Appearance in Erasure." The exhibit is currently on view here in Taipei City at the Mindset Art Center. We've looked at how she approaches oil painting differently by attempting to draw abstract concepts such as thought patterns and emotions. 
instead of more conventional subjects such as landscapes and portraits. We have also seen a few of her paintings and got a glimpse of how she executed a rather unique vision. One thing that we haven't examined yet at this point is her use of color. In my earlier analysis, I said that one of the ways that Miss Xie does not conform to convention is her use of color. Compared to traditional oil paintings, the colors in her artwork is quite mute. Primary colors such as red and green are applied in a very sparing fashion, and she has also used quite a few hues that are not often seen in oil painting at all, such as blue mixed with gray and brown that has this rusty metallic element to it. What is intriguing is that despite the use of colors that look somewhat tame on an individual level, Xie's color paintings emit this sense of energy that is very vibrant and infectious. The best example of this is her biggest painting titled Difference in Traces. This is the largest frame in the entire exhibition, measured at about three and a half meters or more than 11 feet across and standing as tall as an average man. In my opinion, the painting can be best described as an explosion of colors, textures, and tastes. Starting from the left of the frame, we see red feathers that loosely overlap over one another. The loose shapes are accentuated by the presence of intersecting geometrical lines underneath them. To the right of these patterns, we see what appears to be fiery orange smoke that is emitted from the red pattern. The smoke gradually becomes paler as it extends upward. When we shift our gaze again to the right, the color palette changes yet again. The warm color palettes that begin in the left portion of the frame are still somewhat present, except they become this thin and pale and appear to melt into the background. In the foreground, we see off-handed painting of countless lines that end up on the canvas in this densely repetitive and intertwining pattern. The dense and heavy presence of these lines are further accentuated by rich variation in their colors. With just a quick glance, we can see lines and stripes that are of different variations of blue, brown, black, and gray. And you can imagine one countless number of these stripes fill a painting that are as tall as an average man, the effect it, it conveys is quite stunning. When we finally settle our gaze to the right portion of the frame, the colors and patterns shift once again. This time, the warmer colors such as red and brown become saturated once more, and the patterns also shift from the irregular intertwining lines seen in the middle portion of the frame to many parallel lines that form this three-dimensional cube. The change in color and shape, to me at least, triggers a shift in the overall atmosphere of the painting. As the color go from warm to cool to warm again, and as the dominant pattern on the canvas go from loose and transparent to clear lines and angles, the feeling that it triggers also go from mild and cozy to hard and even confrontational. And when I said earlier that the painting offers not just a variety in color and shape, but also in taste, I do mean that literally. 
The colors are so deliberately rich and mixed that they trigger something in my taste bud. Standing in front of a painting and feeling more than just visual senses is something that I have never experienced before. She says that her paintings are, in a sense, records and reenactments of moments in her life, and I would say they offer something that people with different life experiences can all relate to. In that sense, her paintings really are as unique as they are universal. Thank you for listening to Stroke of Light, and I hope you enjoyed this mini series. I'm Jake Chen. And I look forward to talking to you in the following episode. Yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast. This is Ellen. This is Andrew. You had kind of a fun voice there for a second. Uh huh. Because. Because I heard that you have something really sweet for me today. Always, Ellen Chu, mm-hmm. all the sweetness and for you. And you have a creative touch to it too. That is right. Well, you know, just um, two days ago was Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And every year at this time of the year, I kind of think about um, one very specific food item. Some people think about turkey, but I think about pie. Oh, pumpkin pie? Mm, that is one of them. Okay, I love pumpkin pie. Oh no, I didn't make I you a pumpkin pie. I just had one yesterday. <laughs> Did you? Was it good? Uh-huh, it was good. Ooh. And then it had like whipped creams all over it. Do you know? Oh, see, now I didn't bring you whipped cream. Now okay. she's going to be upset. No, no, no. It's I, okay. So pumpkin pie and sweet potato pie mm-hmm. are two very regional pies. Right. So where do you think they are based? The pumpkin pie and the sweet potato pie. You mean in the United States? In the United States, yes. The pumpkin pie, Chicago. Mm, and? And sweet potato would be like in the western region? Mm, it's more north-south. Okay. So pumpkin pie would definitely be northern. Mm-hmm. And sweet potato pie would be very southern. southern. Okay. Yes. Um, and so when I grew up, because we grew up in the north... Um, we had mostly pumpkin pie, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I came to Taiwan that I had my first sweet potato pie. Ooh. I had a friend um, who was from Mississippi, mm-hmm. and she was an expert at making sweet potato pie, and really? she swore up and down that the only pie out there to eat was sweet potato pie. Wow. And so I was like, huh. And I tried it, and it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But she did a very traditional one, um, which... I think uh, was very quite sweet, 
um, but really just wonderful. Okay. Like not good for you at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wonderful, but bad for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mine, I'm not sure it's going to be super good for you, but it's probably not that bad. I remember okay. she used like condensed milk in it. Wow. That would yeah. be sweet because potato, sweet potato is sweet already. Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay. And I used a sweet potato. It's probably not as sweet. I used a yellow sweet potato okay. instead of the red one. Oh, okay. So it's less sweet. I think so. Mm, cut down the sugar. But I've never made it before. And I used a very unusual recipe because mm-hmm. I decided since we're in Taiwan, we should use some Taiwanese ingredients mm-hmm. and we should, you know, we should do something a little bit Asian. Mm-hmm. And I found a recipe from Bon Appetit, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not going to tell you what's in it until we get to that point. Okay. Yes. Surprise again. Surprises, huh? Yeah. Oh, so uh, before we get into that, I want to ask you what your favorite um, pie is. Me? Okay, my... Is it pumpkin? Uh, it's one of it. Mm. And the other pie that I like is actually your pecan pie. Oh, right. And banana cream pie. I forgot that I made that for you. Oh, banana, banana cream, cream pie. pie. I love banana cream pie. I'm a bit of a sucker for a, a key lime pie as well. Oh, okay. Mm. Mm. So many pies to be had. Unfortunately, right. we can't have more than one slice. Okay. Um. All right. Shall we check out what's on our menu today? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, in the first course, we'll tell you the history of sweet potato pie and speculate about whether the pilgrims would have eaten pie at the first Thanksgiving. In our second course, I'm going to head into the Feast Meets West test kitchen to bake a sweet potato pie with, as I mentioned, some Asian ingredients. And in our third and final course, we'll be sampling that pie right here in our studio. Mmm... But first, a pie song. All of our songs have something to do with pie today. Mm. It's called Ling Mong Pai or hey. Lemon Pie. Mm-hmm. And it's by Liu Hua. Mm. All right. Back in a moment when the feast continues. First course, history of sweet potato pie. Mm. So sweet potato pie has a history? Yes, it does. Okay. It does. So like we said, originating in the southern United States, okay, often eat, uh, served and eaten during the American holiday season, especially like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And in place of pumpkin pie, 
which is more traditional in other regions of the United States. Yes. Now, although creamy vegetable pie recipes date back to medieval Europe, uh-huh. sweet potato pie appears in the southern United States from the early colonial days. Wow. And like many sweet potato recipes, sweet potato pie was likely developed by African-American slaves because the African slaves, they uh, are used to using the yam, making a staple of soul food. Mm, that's right. And their culinary tradition would become a very rich part of the um, greater American culinary tradition. Mm-hmm. So recipes for sweet potato pie first appeared in printed cookbooks in the 18th century, um, where it was included with savory vegetable dishes. I don't think of it as a vegetable dish. I think more of it as like a, a sweet dessert kind of thing Mm. by the 19th century sweet potato pie was more commonly classified as a dessert as we mentioned but i like sweet potatoes so you know i'm really looking forward to it how do you like to eat your sweet potatoes alan chew i like it baked Mm -hmm. like wrapped up and put into the oven Mm. and just baked okay and also i like it uh baked with cheese Mm. yeah sweet potato with cheese with uh swiss cheese oh have you had that in taiwan no yes you should go to the uh karo dian uh-huh like they serve it oh like it's like sweet and salty barbecue joints will s- right do it, it for has you. like a dessert final final dish okay. so is it sweet do they put sweet stuff on it or is it just the potato it's itself? just potato itself and then with the uh cheese swiss oh, cheese swiss just cheese. to give the different texture Mm, I love it. That yes. sounds amazing. Uh-huh. So actually, in East Asia, roasted sweet potatoes are popular street food. Mm-hmm. In Taiwan and China, sweet potatoes, typically yellow ones, are baked in a large iron drum right mm. on the street side. Uh, and you see them particularly in the winter, but I think a lot of places have them year-round. Mm. Now, in Taiwan, the red variety of sweet potatoes is also available. It's sweeter, but less fluffy than the yellow version. Mm-hmm. So I went to the shop last night to buy them, and I was like, which one should I buy? Mm-hmm. She's like, well, it depends. Do you want it sweeter or do you want it fluffier? Okay. Sweet potato also are cooked with rice porridge and served with a variety of accompanying dishes. I like it in my porridge, too. Mm, it is very mm-hmm. nice. It's a popular comfort food. It's a throwback to less prosperous mm-hmm. times. Um, some people also make these little chewy things out of glutinous, it. Yeah. yeah glutinous uh-huh. rice powder. And they toss them in ice desserts, right? Yes. Yummy. And hot desserts too, right? Like hot I think soups. So, mm-hmm. so well, it's maybe, just giving you the texture and also the natural sweetness. Maybe I can make those um, sometime. Next time. Next, or yes. maybe even next Thanksgiving. That would be good. Good. All right, we're going to go into another song. Okay. Another pie song. A pie song? It's called Lovely Pie. Wow. By Ji Jia Song. Yay. And when we come back in our second course, I'm going to head into the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen. And whip it up. Whip it up, baby.
You're listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. All right, we are back now in the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen, and we're going to make something that I'm super excited about, something that I've been wanting to try for several years, and it is an Asian take on a sweet potato pie. What, what, what? What are you talking about, you say? This is a recipe from Bon Appetit, and it involves miso, okay, and black sesame seeds. So the first thing I'm doing is I'm just taking uh, six tablespoons of unsalted butter, which I have melted, and I am mixing it together with a quarter cup of packed light brown sugar, a third cup of black sesame seed powder, and five ounces of chocolate waver cookies. Now, I have just taken... A bunch of Oreos and scraped out the filling. So the the younger version of me would be like, why are you throwing the filling away? That's the best part. But for this, we just want some chocolate cookies. Uh, and then I've tossed in a pinch of kosher salt. And I'm just going to whiz it up in my food processor. All right, so I'm gonna just uh, taste the crust. Oh, it's warm. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, wow. That is delicious. <laughs> I love black sesame, and that is just um, the nuttiness of it mixed with the dark chocolate cookies. Oh, it's exquisite. I don't know if this is gonna make it into the crust. All right, so I'm just going to take that out now, and I'm going to use a measuring cup to press it into the sides of a pie plate, a nine-inch pie plate, and then I'm going to freeze it until it's very cold, so about 20 to 25 minutes. And then we're going to take it out of the freezer, preheat the oven to 350, and we're going to bake that crust until firm and slightly darkened in color, 15 to 18 minutes, uh, and then we're going to let it cool. So the next step, after the tinkly music, is to make the filling, and then we're going to put it into our finished pie crust. Ooh, I can't wait. This is going to be so good. All right now, so we are ready to go with our crust. It has been frozen and then baked, and now we're just putting together the filling. Now I've already roasted my sweet potatoes, and I'm using Taiwanese sweet potatoes, the yellow kind, which are a little bit fluffier, um, but not quite as sweet. So I'm just whizzing those up in the food processor. And I've got about a pound in there. And then in a separate bowl, I am whisking together some light brown sugar, about half a cup, along with three tablespoons of unsalted butter melted. Uh, And then two tablespoons of white miso goes in there. Also, I'm adding about two large egg yolks and one large egg. Whisking that all together. And then one cup of heavy cream. So I'm just whisking it together. It's not really coming together as nicely as I would have liked. A bit thicker than I expected. I don't know if I've made a mistake or what. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, here's the moment of the truth. We're just gonna pour uh, this mixture into my crust. 
Unfortunately, my crust all kind of fell apart. I dropped my pie plates and uh, I had to just push it back into place. I don't know if it's gonna work or what. Ah, man, at this point, <laughs> now I'm really worried that I've mucked it all up. Oh, everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. I messed up the crust, it's a little bit crumbly. The uh, filling's not really coming together well. Uh, it's it's kind of like a goopy peanut butter at this point. But you know what? In the spirit of all of those Thanksgivings, successful or not, of past years, I'm just gonna do it, put a dash of love in it, stick it in the oven at 300 degrees Fahrenheit, about 150 Celsius. And uh, we're gonna leave it in there for 50 minutes, just uh, rotating it halfway so it cooks evenly. And uh, with a little luck, this won't taste terrible. All right, in just a moment, when we come back on the feast, uh, we're gonna have Ellen Chu test this pie. Hopefully it will be okay. Oh, I don't know about this one. This might be a big catastrophic failure. But first, a song, it's called Sweet Potato Pie. It's by Ray Charles and James Taylor. Who knew there was a song about sweet potato pie? Well, now you know. Oh Lord, I feel fine today Walking on cloud nine today I'm over that line today Happiness is finally mine today I guess I'm just a lucky guy And here I'm about to tell you why It's strictly on account of my Sweet potato pie That she loves the most The main reason why she left the coast She's my little girl senior So much harder than a hallelujah As tender as a night in June Sweeter than a honeymoon Brighter than a silver spoon Just about as crazy as a loon Softer than a lullaby, deeper than the midnight sky, soulful as a baby's cry. That's my sweet potato pie. Little bit too juvenile 
need to refine my style A silk suit, a crocodile smile Let the whole damn world go by Cause I just wanna testify From now on it's me and mine Sweet potato pie yeah. Oh, yeah now My sweet potato pie Third course. All right, the moment of truth. I was so afraid that this would not come out. I had so many mistakes along the path. Really? Maybe your mistake actually, you know made a good twist i just think that every thanksgiving there's one dish that goes wrong oh i love I, the texture oh really mm-hmm. the the filling yeah let me try it because i i was really afraid that the filling would not come out properly because it was so dense it did did it Mm-hmm. it's soft it's moist it's creamy oh wow it's good what does it taste like ellen chew how about the flavors it has a peanut butter taste. <laughs> it does taste like right? peanut butter. <laughs> That's right. It's funny because there's no peanut butter in it. I think it's because of the crust. The brown sugar and maybe because of the crust. Uh-huh. And then the texture. Mm. Oh, Ellen, this is pretty good. This is good. So in the crust is chocolate cookie mm-hmm. and ses- black sesame ground up. And that gives it a really nutty flavor. And then the mm-hmm. in the body of it... It has um, brown sugar and miso. It's good. So you take brown sugar, miso, and butter, hot mm-hmm. melted butter, and you mix it together, and it makes like a molasses. This is good. Is it good? It's very successful. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so nervous about this, Ellen. This Chill. beat the pumpkin cake I are, ate yesterday. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Oh! Oh. <laughs> this is amazing good. You don't know how nervous I was about this. Mm. This is so good. So nervous. Mm-hmm. It does taste really peanut buttery. Mm-hmm. But there's absolutely no peanut butter in this dish at all. It's strange, huh? It has a consistency mm-hmm. in the texture of peanut butter as well, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. This would be better if it had um, vanilla ice cream on it. Or whipped or cream. Or whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The fake one, not the real one, okay? <laughs> mm. Do you think it tastes like sweet potato? I think once you know it's made by sweet potato, mm-hmm. and you carefully, you know, kind of go through your palate, mm-hmm. you know there's sweet potato, the sweetness, okay? So if I made this for you and I told you it was a peanut butter pie... You you definitely think it was peanut butter. I would say, wow, yeah. There's, yeah, I mean, there, I don't know that you would guess that it was sweet potato. The color even looks like peanut butter. Peanut butter. So it would basically really pull you to peanut butter, but it's good. Do you know I had one other major failure during the, the whole process what? of making it? I had, so what you do is you freeze the crust. You, you you make the crust, you put it into the pie plate, you press uh-huh. it in, and then you freeze it for mm-hmm. like 25 minutes. And then you put it in the oven and then you bake it. 
Then when you're done baking it, then you put it on the counter and you leave it there. Mm -hmm. But when I put it on the counter, I kind of dropped it a little bit. Oh. And all of the crust fell away from the walls Uh into these big slabs of cookie. Oh, no. And I was like, ah. (laughs) And so I just took it and kind of like quickly put it back together Mm -hmm. again. But it worked. I couldn't believe it. It worked. It did. You Mm -hmm. you can't tell that it totally fell apart, right? Can't tell at all. (laughs) I say it's not Thanksgiving unless something catastrophic happens in the kitchen. I know. It's a question of like what you do then, right? Right. (laughs) But I think, you know, it turned out really good. Well, thank Mm -hmm. you. Amazing good. Okay. I'm, I'm actually like genuinely surprised. Okay. The other thing, too, is when I was blending it in the mm-hmm. food processor, it was so thick. Mm-hmm. Like It was like peanut butter. It was thicker than peanut butter. Oh, my goodness. Because if I just put a pound of sweet potatoes in the, the food processor and whizzed it up, and it got thicker and goopier and thicker and thicker and thicker. And I was like, oh, my God. It's so maybe the- when you baked it, you know, the sweet potato actually has water come out. I think that might be it. And it also has, it does have eggs in it. So it kind of raised a little bit. Oh, Not a lot of eggs. It has okay. two mm-hmm. eggs in it. But the whole thing expands. Amazing. But you're allergic to eggs, aren't you? But they're cooked. Yeah, they're cooked and they're inside. They're they're like very minimal. It's going to, that little tiny slice you mm-hmm. had probably doesn't even have a, right. a fraction of one. But when it did it, what it does do is the whole thing expands. Wow. So it got like twice the size. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to explode in my <laughs> oven. But then I took it out and the whole thing went back down again. My goodness. And it's it's really good. Okay. So remember all these mistakes. You need to do it again next time. <laughs> the same mistakes. The and same everything. <laughs> mistakes in order to get the same consistency. Okay. Oh so make sure you listen to your program again and remember all these mistakes you did. It has to be the same way. <laughs> Otherwise it won't taste any it good. It wouldn't taste this good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Note to self. I'm going to put okay. those little notes on the recipe. Right. All righty. Well, that is our Thanksgiving episode of The Feast. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us for our pie show. Yes. We'd like to ask you to write to us. Yes, our please justice. write to us at P.O. Box 123-199. That's right. <laughs> right? Type A Taiwan ROC. Type A Taiwan ROC. I got it, right? Cool. So- Good. Email a n d r o o at r t i dot o r g dot t w. And next week, next week we're going to be introducing a Brazilian berry. We're going to take you on a little adventure. Field trip. A field trip. We haven't done a field trip in a while, have we? Long time. Long time. We've been locked in here for a long time. I know. Okay. Your kids get more field trips than we do. (laughs) They do. They do. Lucky kids. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, join us next week. We're going to be learning all about acai. Acai. The warmth of the Amazon. The passion of the Amazon. The God's fruit. That's right. Okay. All right. For Vsuccess, I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. One last song. It's called American Pie. Oh, it's okay. not the Don McLean version. It's the apple pie. <laughs> I think that's the kind of pie I she's know. singing about. Yes. This is by Madonna. All right. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Have a pie. Have a pie. Pie pie. And maybe they'd be happy for a while.
As they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, radio for refined palates. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. 
in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.